Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. Normally, I sit in this chair on Sunday nights and preach to you a sermon that I prepared in the week just past. That is not what's happening in September. My creative brain and my spirit are on a break from that work, and we have four fabulous preachers who are filling in over the month on the theme, What the World Needs Now. And I want to introduce you to our preacher for tonight. A little over 30 years ago, Lance, Poppy, and I got married, packed a U-Haul, and went to seminary. 27 years ago, we were ordained together and started serving churches together as co-pastors. For 11 years, we shared a job, alternating Sundays in the pulpit, first in North Shelby County outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and then in West Islip on the south shore of Suffolk County, Long Island. There were many good gifts of that season. We had two gorgeous kids, several good dogs, and the kind of hard times that forge resilience and grow grace if you survive them. And we did. Thanks be to God. One of the scariest parts and the best gifts of sharing church work with Lance was trading off that pulpit Sunday by Sunday. It meant that every other Sunday, 26 times a year, I heard the kind of preaching that challenges my mind and stirs my spirit. I heard the gospel from the mouth and heart of my beloved, a person with more intellectual integrity than any other human I know. That was the best gift. It also meant that every other, other Sunday, I had to follow Lance in that pulpit. So I couldn't get lazy or fall back on cliches or offer easy answers to life's hardest questions. Neither he nor our churches would stand for it. So Lance, before he was a professor of homiletics at Bright Divinity School at TCU, was teaching me how to preach or at least daring me to do it better, to be faithful to the enterprise, to not waste people's time, to keep eyes and mind and heart open always to the nudges of God's spirit, even when she nudges into difficult places. We don't often get to hear Lance's voice at Galileo Church, After those 11 years of working together, we knew that it was better if we each had our own thing. So although we share a fascination with the relearning and retelling the good news of God's reign, honestly, these days we mostly stay in our parallel, side-by-side lanes. Plus, it is not a huge relief to our household for him to be preaching tonight rather than me. All week long, the preacher scours the landscape, listens to the news, pays attention to the chatter of ancestors and contemporaries, strains their ear for whispers 
their eye for glimpses of the gospel. It's a little bit manic. It takes its toll on the whole fam family. So, honey dog, I am grateful for the hours of rest that I was granted by your work this week. And I am also aware again of the price you pay every week for the continued proclamation of the word in this place. Thank you for that. And thank you in advance for tonight. Hello, church. Hello, church. <laughs> now, my name is Lance. My pronouns are he, him. And uh, that was quite an introduction earlier. Uh, I, th I think what she was saying is that I was pretty hard to get along with this week. <laughs> and maybe that I was pretty hard to get along with for 11 years when we were in ministry together. <laughs> and I think probably both of those things are true. Um, so I want to briefly introduce the Matthew reading. Um, when we do a series like this where we're just picking a text out of a book, uh, it's really... Uh, it, it's better to establish the literary context, so I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it really briefly. Um, I'm persuaded by people that think that the Gospel of Matthew is broken up into five parts and that each of those parts kind of has a discourse or a teaching or a sermon in it so that Jesus kind of ends up saying a group of things five different times. And the reason that was interesting to Matthew and his readers is that they thought that that God had given God's first word in five parts, right? The five books of Moses, the five books of the law, the Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, sort of the five uh, pieces of that. And so, so to divide up Jesus' teachings into five parts like that would be to kind of say that, that Jesus is building upon that legacy, that this is a new word from God, a new authoritative word. And what we're reading tonight is the first of those five. And in fact, it's the first words of the first of those five. So that's sort of the context, if you will. I think it's pretty interesting how Jesus decides to kick this off. Um, and you, you know this larger section probably as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew doesn't call it that, but the tradition has called it that for, forever. Uh, this extended teaching, all kinds of really interesting things, but none more interesting than these opening words, I think, from Matthew 5, 1 through 11. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you 
and to persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The preaching ministry of Jesus begins on a mountain. And no doubt by describing this setting for Jesus' first sermon in this way, Matthew wants us to remember another great teacher whose career as a bearer of God's word began on a mountain. Israel's greatest teacher leader, Moses, ascended Mount Sinai and received there the law of God, most famously expressed in the Ten Commandments, chiseled in tablets of stone. But unlike Moses, when Jesus saw the crowd gathering and went up a mountain to teach, he did not begin with commandments, things that we should and should not do. The grammatical mood of the Beatitudes is indicative, not imperative. The Sermon on the Mount begins with a famous list that we've grown to cherish, just like the Ten Commandments, but it's not a list of laws. And I think sometimes we misunderstand the Beatitudes because we try to turn them into laws. We seem to want Jesus to say, be this way or do that. But that is not how his preaching ministry begins, according to Matthew. Jesus begins instead with blessings, not instructions about how things should be, but rather a bold assertion of how things really are. He doesn't say, be meek. He doesn't say, be merciful. He doesn't insist that we become poor in spirit. I suppose you either are or you aren't. He doesn't require us to mourn or to long for justice like food in a famine. I think you either do or you don't. But what does he say? He says that such people are blessed of God. In other words, God's eye is on them. God's favor is with them. They will not be forgotten. They will be happy in the end. And so, again, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are the spiritual refugees. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not giving laws. He is describing reality. Jesus is making clear, bold claims about what is the case with the world. The only problem is, I'm not sure what world he's living in. I'm not sure what world he's describing, are you? Do you recognize it? 
I don't know about you, but in the world I live in, the poor in spirit, those who are especially sensitive to the toxicity of our times, those in the midst of disorienting theological rehabilitation work, those who are deeply in touch with the brokenness of the world and their own spiritual brokenness, they don't get taken very seriously in the world I live in. The world I live in respects certitude and cocksure confidence, and it despises poverty of spirit, which it diagnoses as neurosis and disdains as low self-esteem. The poor in spirit are dismissed, not blessed in the world I know. I don't know about you, but the world I live in tolerates mourning for a little while, maybe. But pretty soon the world I know insists that a mourner get their act together and move on. Those who persist in mourning the brokenness of the environment and the alienation of the human family, and yes, the scourge of death and illness propagated by this brutally resilient virus, they are not patiently comforted as Jesus declares. No, they are swept aside because tears don't sell and sighs don't buy. And it's all so depressing and it slows the rest of us down and it hampers the economic recovery. Those who are deeply grieved are not blessed. They are bypassed in the world I know. I don't know about you, but in the world I live in, the meek don't inherit the earth. They get crushed. The meek have bad lawyers and no lawyers at all. And they're easily intimidated. They are easily manipulated. They get left holding the worthless beads while the bold take the land. In the world I know, if the meek did inherit the earth, it would be gone soon enough. They would give some of it to anyone who asked, and they would get cheated out of a good deal by con artists, and some of it they would just fail to defend properly when stronger people took it from them. Those who are meek don't inherit the earth, I know. And so it goes. Those who starve for justice just keep getting hungrier. The merciful are exploited. The pure in heart are called naive. The peacemakers are demonized as cowards and have their patriotism called into question. And on and on. In fact, in the world I live in, most do not associate God's blessing with any of these things. They associate God's blessing with power they associate it with success. They associate it with strength. To which of these beatitudes do our politicians of both parties, by the way, refer when they insist that God blesses America? To none of these. Because in the world we live in, we most certainly do not equate blessing with meekness or starvation or poverty. Our national creed is one of confidence, competence, and wealth, and it is in the service of such aspirations that we invoke and presume the blessing of God. 
And all the more stridently, I might add, in a season when the national narrative of wealth, confidence, and competence seems most imperiled. One thing that seems perfectly clear to me is that whatever Jesus is in fact doing when he kicks off the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, he is surely not describing the world we all live in. What is it then? Wishful thinking? A mistake? An escapist fantasy? Why would Jesus say it? And more to the point, why would a bunch of people who must live in the real world, why would we all get together and read stories about a world completely, utterly different from our own? Why, if we live in a world where the meek are crushed, why would we want to come to places like this and study the fuzzy logic of a world where being meek is the surest path, surest path to calling the entire earth your home? Why do we mold our imaginations by rehearsing the patterns of a world where mercy multiplies and returns to the merciful? A world where those who mourn are generously consoled where those who admit their profound brokenness receive the kingdom. Make no mistake, we traffic in conspiracies here. Things in some ways more absurd than QAnon, and in some important ways far more dangerous than ivermectin. We gather in a barn by candlelight to whisper open secrets possibilities that strike most as too strange, too good, too gentle to be true. We conspire to live into an unbearable tension. Despairing, we sing. Faithless, we confess. Alienated, we gather so that we may give communal voice to an audacious amen uttered against all appearances to the contrary. It is clear enough that we do not live in the world of the Beatitudes. But perhaps the more important question for us to consider is this. Do you think you could be happy in such a world? Don't answer too soon. If God got everything God wanted, and if that meant that all of Jesus' beatitudes came true, would you flourish? Or have we made peace with a smaller gospel, a more accessible gospel? Have we made ourselves too completely at home in the world of those other beatitudes? Blessed are the cynical, for they will not be disappointed. Blessed are the certain, for they at least will sleep well. Blessed are the assertive, for they will take what they need. Blessed are the affluent, for everything will go better for them. Blessed are you when you know what you want and go after it with everything you've got, for God helps those who help themselves. Which Beatitudes do we prefer? I ask only because of the remote possibility 
that the rumors we whisper together in this place are not idle words after all, but a prophecy of the last days and therefore an urgent message about every day. From the very beginning, this has been our improbable story, we Christians. Before Christianity was the tool of an empire or a respectable world religion, before it invented the Jesus of suburbia or offered cover for white supremacy, it was the bearer of a shocking message, now almost forgotten by most who think they are Christian. Our primitive document puts it in this way, that at the end of history, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that a crucified man, of all things, is Lord. Everyone will see at last that the one hung upon a tree in shame, the one who in poverty of spirit was forsaken by everyone, even God it seemed. Every tongue will confess that man, the last of the last, is first of all, is Lord of all. On that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess the book says. Every tongue will confess that God's folly is wiser than human wisdom. Every tongue will admit that the mourner, the man of sorrows, they called him, is comforted at last in the power of resurrection. Every tongue will confess that the meek lamb who did not open his mouth before the slaughterers has been granted the earth and everything in it. Every tongue will confess that the one who longed for justice has lived to see justice, that the one who practiced purity of heart is standing in the presence of God, that the great peacemaker is now called the Son of God. On that day, every tongue will confess that the one who was persecuted for the sake of God's righteousness is indeed blessed of God. Every knee will bow, the story goes. Every tongue will confess these mysteries. But will every heart rejoice? Perhaps, like beauty, heaven and hell, too, are in the eye of the beholder. May God help us to become the kind of people that find God's promised future to be heavenly. Blessed are you when you long to see a future in which all of God's strange dreams come true. Blessed are you for your collective life together will become a harbinger of that good future. Blessed are you because God's promise to you is that you will be happy in the end. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. 
This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Rev. Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.